This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the Podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibe. I'm your host, Josh, and with us is your other host, Puka. Say hi, Puka. Buenas tardes. What are we talking about tonight, Puka? We are putting on our robes and elf ears, or I don't really know how costumes work in LARP, but we're going back into the world of LARP. <laughs> and we'll be talking about the Shining Host Player's Guide with noted author of said book and wit, Pete Woodworth. Greetings. <laughs> Hello. Welcome back, Pete. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. Yeah, we're here to talk about a book that came out 22 years ago, so oh, I'm sure you remember God. every single detail. <laughs> oh, gosh. 22 years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this book is old enough to drink. Yep. Yeah, so it's written by you. Yes. Uh, there's a Jester's book by Steve Gabena. Uh, yes, yeah, that's actually a typo. Yeah. His name's his name's correct further down. It's Grabani. Ah, okay, sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. They got it right in one spot, but wrong in the other. Yeah, and it has like uh, a previously published material has appeared in. Yeah, including Denizens of the Dreaming. Which they did. Good. They did a disclaimer because they've been talking about how a lot of Mind's Eye books were starting to adapt tabletop material very directly. So they decided they wanted to try out whether or not they should credit those books. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, with that material since you know that we pulled from so many different books for the stuff in this mm-hmm. one and uh, but it wasn't actually really previously published yeah and the so, ideas yeah yeah and they wanted to show that this was not where these ideas originated so yeah that's what cynthia settled on uh, for that so well you definitely couldn't have published this on your own without white wolf's permission and i <laughs> got sued yeah. for those things oh oh, oh for sure <laughs> for sure but uh-huh. do you remember like where this fits into like the tabletop chronology of supplements? Because we we're sort of coming to the end of second edition now. I mean, two thousand one feels accurate yeah. to me. So okay, yeah, because there's a number of things that aren't in here that could have been. But I mean, there's also space consideration, I guess. But uh... there's also an ad at the end for um, werewolf novels coming out in November two thousand one. So my... oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not like it's not like you finish writing your first draft and then it also comes out immediately do you, mm, know, yeah. do, do you know sort of when the first draft was done i remember the most recent book that we drew on was we had uh fool's luck it was really okay. new and that stuff got put in at kind of the last minute mm, yeah. so okay as i recall anyway that was the newest supplement uh, that had just come out and we squeezed it in at the last second oh, okay oh. so the denizens thing was probably a just, they just threw it in there because it was in the book. But, yeah, yeah, we had. I mean, there. This book had so much stuff going on that I think Cynthia also just credited a bunch of things just to make sure we covered our bases. Um, yeah, but we could put it in the uh, fool's loop with the last bit. That, 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 yeah, that I think that. I, I, I mean, I could be wrong, and I'm sure someone may, will yeah. correct me if that's the case. But that, yeah. that's the book I remember. It came out, and I remember going to Cynthia and saying, "Can we fit some more in?" And and she was not best pleased with me for trying to add <laughs> like 10,000 yeah. words at the last minute, but she did eventually allow it. So I, I owe her for that. Yeah. But you didn't add in an extra six houses. That were... <laughs> yeah. I really, really wanted to add a whole bunch of the, the missing you know houses yeah. and things like we, 
my goal was to get as much material from Changeling Tabletop to LARP as possible. Yep. And this book was my my reward, I guess you could say, for mm-hmm. um, for doing Laws of the Night. I had done Laws of the Night Revised, and it went over really well. And I wasn't the only person who worked on that, of course, but like I was one of the mm-hmm. consistent Minds Eye Theater people. And they said, well, what are you interested in? And I said, we need to do a Changeling follow-up. And yep. Cynthia said, what, what do you really think so? And I said, I, I think I know so. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I said, I think Changeling is the, is the second most popular LARP uh, behind Vampire. And we had no way of knowing that at mm-hmm. the time. I, and she said, really, you think so? And I said, yeah, I don't think the other games are nearly as well suited. Yeah. Changeling's really good for LARP and in a way that like Werewolf is not. I have the biased opinion. I think it's even better than Vampire for LARP, but. Just because it's suited does not make it more popular for that. But yeah, <laughs> I agree. The setting, like you know, werewolf and mage and wraith, have a lot of elements that do not LARP well. Mm-hmm. And uh, hunter is also my other favorite. Hunter is really well suited to. LARP, oh, okay, but, that's a very different uh, kind of LARP, I imagine. Though, but yes, uh, hunter LARP is is very different. But like changeling, you can dress in your mortal seeming uh, and mm-hmm. go out in public, or you can do face seeming and do full costume and makeup, or. You know, and when we went out in mortal seeming, when we went out in public places, we like to do little fey touches like ear tips or, you know, a little bit of makeup or, you know, just a little poking through just for fun. And yeah, and different players can do mix and match and it's fine. Yeah. And so we, we like to be, if you looked at us closely, you could figure out who we were. And every once in a while, we'd get a white wolf LARPer who would spot us and they would know what <laughs> we were doing. And, and that was always fun. So. They're not quite as fun as the night we showed up at the local goth club, which had an active vampire game with hunter code tattoos all over us, <laughs> just just to scare them. <laughs> so, so you mentioned hunter, and I wanted to ask if I'm not mistaken, there was the Laws of the Hunt book, and that's where the Dantane appeared. And yes. I just wondered if there were other. We have the initial Shining Host book and then the shining host player's guide i know that there was also material scattered through the mind's eye theater journals but then was there any other stuff that could have been yeah there were a few things that they let me put in the mind's eye journal um jess was really good about that and then uh, the only other book that had changeling mind's eye theater material only other actual book was laws of the hunt revised because then Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. i actually kind of elbowed my way into that book to write the dante Um, (laughs) so i I was very determined at the time to be the only person who wrote Changeling LARP rules because I wanted them to be consistent. Mm-hmm. I want well, also I just love Changeling and I didn't mind doing yep. it, but I wanted them to be consistent. So, so I basically bullied my way onto that book. <laughs> so, when you were adapting stuff from those other books that are listed here on the credits page, were there any that were particularly tough to adapt or very straightforward? The trickiest ones that I remember in terms of just the the complexity where the Nunahe and the Inanime because their rules are mm-hmm. are significantly different than regular Cathane in a lot of ways and we wanted to preserve that but that was also just sort of a difficulty they had in the tabletop that came over with mm-hmm. the Lord. so that, that it wasn't so much that they were really difficult it's just that they don't always mix as well as we yeah. wanted them to yeah. Um, yeah I think you had a similar problem that C20 had the core book with doing those two like because you have the limited more it's not a full book yeah you have the more limited space you're tr- they're very different groups it's not like you're adding a new art or something and 
yeah new mechanics and all that stuff so and we also we did get some some pushback because some of the the ways we adapted some of the arts were also not tabletop true Mm -hmm. like uh, because we took some of the arts from blood dim tides especially they had several arts in blood dim tides Mm-hmm. and which turned out it was a friend of mine who actually wrote the changeling stuff i wasn't friends with him at the time but he we became friends later and he had worked on blood dim tides and they had what we called the short arts that only had like three levels yeah and so we fleshed them out we gave them more material or or we changed powers that didn't work very well in larp to ones that we thought yeah. would work better so yeah but no no merfolker in this book even though it's <laughs> Yeah. We we tried we tried yeah. for uh, for the merfolk, which was weird because we got everything else um, more or less. But poolside LARP, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's but that's the thing. I mean, people buy mer tales and yeah. I actually famously in one of our changeling games, I, I played an Undine and I was an NPC and I just lived in the pool all night because we were at a friend's <laughs> place who had a pool in their backyard, <laughs> and so they would that's come so to me for information because I was an NPC plot character. And at one point, the two knockers came up to me, and the players were actually—they're really just knockers. Uh, my friends Danny and yeah. Mike, and they're—and they built a water clock, a simple one. <laughs> and they're like, "See what we've done for you?" And I, I just looked at it. And I said, "You've enslaved my people." <laughs> <laughs> they smashed it out of their hands, and they—they they looked so conf- they were so proud. And then they realized what they'd done. <laughs> so how dare um, they? So pool LARP was a thing. One, you can't just croft people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I also note from this credits page, I suppose this is true for most Minds Eye Theater books, but the play tester to everybody else ratio in the credits is dramatic here. <laughs> I it, Just like in Shining Host, if you remember, all of the play testers are my high school friends and my high yeah. school LARP group. This was my college LARP group. So yeah. Yeah, these were these were some of them carry over if you go between the mm-hmm. two books and look at the playtesters, and some of them are new. But we ran a second game near the end of college to playtest this book, as we had done one in high school to playtest the first one. Uh, this time, though, they knew it was a playtest. The first time, I surprised everybody. This time, <laughs> they knew. Uh, since I'd been writing for White Wolf for a few years, it was no longer yeah. a surprise. But so yeah, this was. I, I I was insistent that everybody get their credit. I I always try and get every play tester their credit. So yeah. Also, what's around the credits and stuff? I will say, in a way, this is the last non-art house White Wolf proper change like book. That's like yeah. just change like. Yeah. Yep. I had a bad habit of ending out changeling lines. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so, between this book for Minds Eye Theater and then Kith Book Issue and everything for a long time, I, I was the one who put the lights out on Changeling. So, yeah. Shall we look through some chapters? Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. Sure, sure. I really enjoyed the opening fiction, I have to say. And I, I mm-hmm. see that I think that's the one part that you didn't write, but I still enjoy right. it nevertheless. <laughs> um, especially because we're recording a week after All Souls Night. So, oh, yeah. Cynthia's opening fiction was great. Um, yeah, it gives a really good representation of how Salwin might go down from a changeling's eye view, which is something that we we see alluded to, but rarely shown mm-hmm. outright like this. And you have the bright path or bright road thing in here as well. So yep. it's like, ah. yeah, I will admit I've I've always been kind of nervous around Samhain LARP games. But <laughs> <laughs> and this, this is both cool and evocative. It doesn't help me <laughs> with that fear. But <laughs> Uh, I understand. Believe me. Yeah, I understand. But it's one thing in a tabletop game, and everybody knows each other, and you 
keep your safety tools there, but when you get LARP, especially if there's a lot of This people. frankly makes me want to run a summon LARP game, but I, I feel <laughs> Yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm saying I'm scared. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Well, for, for me, it's also like, I don't know, depending on the group, Beltane is a little bit more intimidating, mm. uh, yeah. depending on how much physical contact you enjoy in your games, let's put it that mm-hmm. way. But Fair. yeah, we, we always had huge Samhain and, and Belton parties um, for our LARPs. Yeah. So Halloween for, on top of LARP is just LARP or paradise. So yeah, we came up with some traditions and, and so forth. We had like the wild hunt would show up and there was a, a creature from the deep dreaming and you had to put on your mask and it would come to you and ask questions. And, you know, you would deny who you were, even though it knew who you were. As long as you had a mask on, you were safe. Um, so we had this weird we came up with all these weird traditions around it for our games so nice they're fun though uh should we briefly describe the story i guess so yeah it's set in new orleans i think or or no they uh, were no, supposed I... to go to new orleans and then ended up in chapel hill it was one of the carolinas where chapel hill chapel yes. hill is north yep. carolina and uh i mean it's it, the plot's pretty short it's it's a yeah it deals it deals a bit with the sow and mist and like the yep. The fact that, you know, changelings have their own form of the mist that night to allow people to revel and let down their hair and and, uh, blow off some steam Mm -hmm. and speak truth to power without consequence and so forth. So, And occasionally sacrifice people to hell. Also that. Yeah, so it's a story of a knocker and his Fiona Shi girlfriend. And they travel around, they go to that sailing party, and then uh, he never sees her again. Stuff happens. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I liked all the rosemary imagery. That's something <laughs> for remembrance. Yeah. Cynthia really ran with that one. Yeah, and I remember because it was funny because some of my friends wouldn't read the credits and they would be like, "Oh my god, I love your story!" And I'd have to keep explaining, "No, that wasn't yeah. mine." And then, yeah, the next chapters on the Nunihi. Yes. So maybe I didn't remember the rule. Why can't they take remembrance? I can't... Is that standard tabletop? Or I didn't. That was true to tabletop. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah, no, that was that was true to tabletop, and it's because they're not supposed to necessarily re- remember past incarnations, mm-hmm. um, because they their souls recycle differently. So okay. that is one of those elements that we carried over. Um, I actually did kind of try and streamline their rules so they played a little bit better with Cathane. So some corners mm-hmm. have been trimmed a little bit, some edges sanded down a little bit. Mm-hmm. The Ninahe were always, it's tough because like, you know, we look back now, especially, and we're like, you know, I know that Nikki and Jackie did a heck of a lot of research and, mm-hmm. and they really tried, you know, they were always deep into Appalachian folklore and like, they always tried to really research. They had some friends in the indigenous community. So like they, they really wanted to do the best job. And I think it's one of those cases where like, I've had people read the Ninahe chapters and like a lot of the indigenous material in old white wolf a lot of it comes back to we tried um and i don't mean that disrespectfully for nikki and jackie really did try they really tried to they did their research they tried to make sure they weren't corrupting legends or you know perverting them or oversimplifying them or something like that but a lot of our stuff we look back and we're like yeah somebody who's not in the appalachians like shout out to our nunahay roundtable that's an excellent episode Mm -hmm. I think you you should also listen to that if you're yeah. listeners here. But I think like one issue I've sort of had with the Nunahi was just because they're so focused on that region. And then there's like these other families from other places, but it's, it sort of gets weirdly sparse feelings. You're like, Oh, the local culture here, there's uh 
two families you could play unless you're yeah. like moving for and it starts to get yeah because they wrote they wrote from what they researched and knew the best but yes yeah. it was always kind of a in an effort to become more comprehensive, because there are a lot of Nunahe, like there are a lot of different Nunahe's, but they only highlighted in some ways how many more they needed, if yep. that makes sense. In Changeling 20th, we sort of modified some of the kiths to be a little bit more universal to try and, and be like, they could encompass local legends or they may be known locally as these things or, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the Nunahe were an example of, we tried to include a lot and it only wound up highlighting how much more yeah. there was. Like, I mean, it technically it's the same problem you get with running a, if you're in Europe and you're running a game set in like Poland, but yeah. still, yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we had, we had this problem in C20 when in the C20 players guide, when we were doing the around the world sections, it's like, how do you do Africa mm-hmm. in a chapter? You know, like, you know, any of the, the around the world stuff was always tricky. And like, that's why I wanted to say though, I'm like, you know, they, they really did the best they could mm-hmm. and they really did it in good faith. And I guess that sounds like I'm making excuses, but it's no, of... no, no. And I, I don't think we should like, at least that's not the impression I've gotten either. Okay. I'm not saying it's anyone's going, this is perfect. And there's definitely some of the changeling books depiction of the Nunahi, especially like the brief things are kind of not great, but something that stands out to me in this book actually is because we have less of those scattered representations that we get throughout the other books because they're not kind of weighing against just the write-up of the families you see a lot more of the human connections and real world issues Mm -hmm. being foregrounded whereas in most of the other books there's like a throwaway line about nunyahi raiding parties and that's like that's all they are so yeah yeah i will say nunyahi for running larps have one big extra problem that i haven't figured out what to do about where at least here if we're running a LARP it's mostly not indigenous people playing it yeah but you need to have like NPCs you need to have it feels different if you're acting things out and dressing up versus a tabletop game where you're just describing things and and that's you don't want to not have the Nunahi be a part of it especially where like if I'm setting it like where I am in my own city that's where a lot of LARPs do there's definitely a lot of indigenous people here so it's yeah it's some players in the game but not it's not going to be a large percentage of them. And it just gets... And, and that's the that's one of the, the huge problems with things in LARP. And, you know, as one of my other friends pointed out, he's like, he, he said, he has indigenous ancestry, but he doesn't look it, as he put it. Mm-hmm. You know, and he said, so people, if I played Anunahe, might make assumptions that aren't actually true. But he's mm-hmm. like, at the same time, he's like, I got to tell you, every culture I've seen in any LARP, fantasy LARP, white wolf, any, anybody trying to do indigenous is almost n- always not indigenous. And let's just call it not great. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember we were in a Gen Con LARP and one of the changeling STs decided that she was going to be a Numazoho, one of the giant folk. And she was an Italian girl from Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm a Numazoho, you know, and we're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like this is, this is uh, awkward, you know, like I don't want people to have to do, you know, ancestry.com tests to check their DNA for mm-hmm. what kind of characters they can play. But at the same time, yeah, well, it's also yikes. culturally would be the really where it more come. Like, yeah, the only time I've had a, any Nunahi in the LARPs I've had was actually a friend of mine who is indigenous to the area and he played a rock giant and but it was his first time, I think, ever role playing. Oh, he was curious about it. And then he wanted to play one of the Nunahi. So it was interesting. So it was, kind of, but yeah. 
And, you know, like I said, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about like things like the Overton window move and like yeah. what was, I just actually had a really big discussion with uh, some LARPers over the weekend where I talked about like, you know, when we look back at a lot of the White Wolf stuff, some of it was not great even back then. And yeah. I said, but at the same time, we, we've got to be careful about holding things up to the standards of now. Like, yes, it is good to revisit them and see where they yeah. went wrong. I'm just thinking about what I'm going to do in if I were to run a LARP in 2024 or something. What would I do? Oh, not? yeah. I mean, I can look at the past as like examples, yeah. but not. And I mean, the same problem, really, I guess, really comes up with the issue. Yep. Even if you're talking about the core kiths, uh, it would come up if you had you if you had the c20 players guide adapted into a larp those other kids yeah, yeah there's i mean there's a lot of, like one of the things that we got some heat for for c20 was the iconic issue art mm-hmm. was me because the art notes apparently got passed to like oh well it was dice from the issue kith book yeah. mm-hmm. And I had conveniently written him to currently look like me because I was playing him in a game. And I talked about like how he's taken a number of different disguises over the years or whatever. So they yep. used him because he was like, an iconic Seocane, except that people are like, why the hell is there a white guy as the issue? And I'm like, I understand your complaint. Like, I played this character. I made this character. And looking back, I'm like... Yep. Ooh, I, I did it because I was like, well, I want to play my own character in a LARP, so I'm going to say that he currently looks like me, but oof, that wouldn't necessarily have been my choice going forward. I mean, yeah. and again, the artists, you know, just follow the art notes they were given. The art notes, you know, came from the developer. So, like, I'm not casting shade on anybody, but I, there was a, some pushback. I'm like, yeah, I understand. I did not know that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. This is also one of those things you really have to know a lot about the cultures involved, and it's not always going to be the same. For every culture but it's also not a thing you can i think you should just ignore and only have you know your european kithane only or something yeah. but especially since like i'm in canada and a lot of the terminology around indigenous peoples it's like came out differently as to what's respectful and insulting hmm. so like plus you know it's over 20 years later things change so if yeah. some of the terminology you'd be using in your game if you're using this you might want to talk to yeah. people and yeah yeah. And as I said, it's one of those things where w- when I was talking to people over the weekend, I was like, it is absolutely fine to hold it up and point out, hey, you know, this is not where we need to be. Like, mm-hmm. and I said, but it's also, I, I want to make sure that people understand that a lot of us, like when I wrote Kith Book Issue, I did a lot of research on Yoruba culture and tradition and legends. And I tried to, you know, honor and now like, now, if I was a developer in 2023, I don't think I'd hire me for that book. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd want to hire someone who had that as their family experience yep. or their, you know, their their life experience or, you know, somebody who's maybe closer to the material. But it's that kind of push and pull. Like I look at the Nunahe chapter and I'm like, oh boy, you know, like yeah. And you also have like if you're making a new book now, yeah, there's more of a push to stick to what was in the game before. If you're running a game. You should do in terms of what's not going to be insulting to your players and that's not going to be insulting to thinking about the specific people, not just a book designed for yeah. two countries, right? <laughs> like, or yeah. more, right? This is the kind of thing you need to do more research, more talking to people, more tailoring things, I think, specifically. Like, this chapter could have been, no matter how well you do it, I think you did a decent, good job in this. Not that I'm really the expert on what would be a good job for a Nunahi chapter, but from what I know, it seems like you did a good job. But it was 20 years ago and it is especially for this it's going to really vary a lot by region so it is something like i said it is something that we you know we have to be we have to be mindful of and 
ultimately for for shining host players guide like i said for me this was just my attempt to get everything i couldn't cram into book one mm-hmm. into larp also i wanted to give as many people as many different options to play changeling as i could mm-hmm. and like i wanted you know so in anime great in Nunehe, great like you know just more character types more personalization more customization more options I really wanted to try and bring the breadth of Changeling. And I knew we weren't likely to get a third book. Uh, I knew that was, it was very unlikely we got this one. And so Mm -hmm. I had a real feeling of, I've got to pile everything in here. I can. Yeah. That's, that's been a lot of Changeling books. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, cause we only had four of the old Mind's Eye Theater books that had Changeling content because Laws of Judgment had the Changeling endings, of course, but mm. it was Shining Host, Shining Host Player's Guide, Laws of the Hunt Revised, and Laws of Judgment. Those are mm-hmm. the four books that have Changeling material in them. So, you know, I wanted to get as much in there as I could, and I wanted to kind of let what Nikki and Jackie had done, you know, speak for itself, as it were, for the Nunahe, but I tried to just, you know, get as much in there as I could, so... Did you anything Puka or just that there were a couple things that caught my eye, which I was trying to remember if they were from the player's guide, if they had been adapted or if they were created for this book. So in particular, it stood out to me that the way that the Nunyahi became changelings is sort of has nothing to do with the shattering in the sense of like when colonization happened and when the Kithane came and everything. It was just something in their deep history where they made a pact with some of the elders to begin incarnating. And I was like, oh, I like that that's spelled out here. The other piece was there's a bit about how in addition to shifting um, camp allegiances between summer and winter and mid-season, the Nunihi are often kind of affiliated with one or more secret societies that change regularly. And I was like, I, I would like to hear more about this. <laughs> so, yeah. And the, the thought crafters are in here too, so... That yeah, was... we again. I, I tried to grab every extant thing I could and put them in there. And again, with no no disrespect intended uh, to the original material, we also tried to keep things very clear and straightforward. Since we had to condense so much, we had to kind of lay everything out that was sometimes hinted at or alluded to, you, you, or otherwise. We also had a few years of hindsight to do that yeah. too, so that helped. Can I kick off a discussion of chapter two by saying that I love this? turn of the millennium photoshop action that's happening on this uh, <laughs> photograph <laughs> yeah maybe not even photoshop this is like cottingly fairy collage kind of thing almost <laughs> yeah there were we had some ongoing issues like i'm not gonna cast shade on the art design or anything but it was weird because we had some really talented photographers who took a lot of photos from our playtest game and <laughs> did some good Photoshop work with them and things like that. And like tried to submit them and they were like, no, 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 we've got our own people. And then some of these images, I'm like that. <laughs> like, wow. I, you know, like I, I can see sometimes it was a different direction and I'm like, okay, but like, okay. <laughs> um, I stay out of the art part- department. They stay out of the editing department, but there you go. Well, so we are entering the anime in this chapter. Yeah, which does I not think... have the same cultural issues with playing in an anime. No, <laughs> which is good, yeah. <laughs> There's lots of little bits in here, actually, which I imagine that playing an anime in a LARP has a different feel. That, well, I'm sure all of them feel different in LARP settings. But the anime in particular, because I imagine a lot of LARP games are happening outdoors in natural environments, 
And being in that space, you know, if you're playing a Kubera or an Ondine in the pool or whatever, like you have a lot more to work with to really make it feel like Mm -hmm. the world and the concerns of the Ananime are directly involved with the Cathayan side of things. Yeah, the thing about an anime players is I've almost never met anyone who played one in tabletop, Mm. but they're consistently popular in LARP. There's not many of them, but... In the games I've seen, there's usually one or two people who want to play one. And the the people who do play them really weird and alien. <laughs> um, they really do feel different than regular Cathane. I've actually never encountered one P- PC or NPC. I just never. Really? Interesting. Yeah, okay. The mannequins in particular are, I think, way more interesting here than they are in Anatomy of the Secret Way. In part because they actually have birth rates and frailties here. But the that was an editorial decision on my part. <laughs> so, but you. like the velveteen dreams thing and mm-hmm. the spark of life frailty. So, you know, wanting to be human and the uncanny valley effect, both of those are story hooks that can go in so many directions, I feel like. And that's great because, <laughs> you know, I feel like now I know how I could play a mannequin by reading this description. Although it does highlight that you're, you can totally play commander data as a mannequin. For sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's like a goal. We had a mannequin player who was genuinely unsettling and in a very good way. They they hit that uncanny valley really well. And, you know, everyone liked them, but they were always a little bit creeped out by them. And I feel like that's exactly where mannequins should be a lot of the time. Uh, I always really liked the in anime. So I tried to I tried to jazz them up a little bit. In no way when I'm doing all these am I trying to cast shade on the tabletop writers. It was more like, how do we make this more LARPable and interesting for LARPers? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And like you said, like giving mannequins the birthright and frailty made them a lot more approachable and interesting. Like uh, I've In my LARP games, I've pulled things from tabletop that are not in one of these books. And for mm-hmm. my tabletop games, I've pulled LARP things into it for various <laughs> reasons too. So like that's... It's fine to do that too, but yeah, the, oh, yeah. this is LARP focused. So yeah, and like we we talked about like last time with the Shining Host, uh, the original Shining Host book, like a lot of people took the blended Kith merit and made and took it to tabletop because they're like, oh my god, I really love this, where mm-hmm. you can take something from another Kith and your legend is a little bit different. You know, you're born from a slightly mm-hmm. different story, and you know people really like those in the LARP, and I know so many people who just took them straight over to tabletop. And with the anime, I tried to make them feel really weird and different because I I didn't want them to just seem like extra kiths that are elemental kiths, but like really, truly strange. Well, you very specifically set up Glade and Croft as courts, which even though there is kind of that hint of it in the tabletop book, I don't think they're ever actually spelled out as political entities in and of themselves, separate from the empires. And so that's that was an interesting thing. Yeah, we pulled that out to try and get more sense of conflict and more Mm. division in their society and give them so they don't... One of the things I always... It it always is weird to me is a lot of times in game supplements, and I don't mean just like White Wolf, but in general, whenever a new group is introduced, they're a monoculture because it makes it easier to plug them into a game if they're all basically the same. That's not just role-playing games, even like fantasy and science fiction does that all over the place. Oh, yeah, yeah. The monoculture, you know, like all Vulcans are logical. All Klingons are war, you know, warriors. All, all Vulcans yeah. speak the same language. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> true. And like, you know, when you're introducing a lot of stuff, shorthand is useful. Um, when people are trying to navigate a fantasy world or a high science fiction world 
having commonalities is good, but it, it does get a little tiresome every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like the characters, it, characters who, who wind up breaking those become some of the most popular characters. I think the characters who aren't what we expect uh, from that culture. Once we've established all the Klingons are like this, well, we have a Klingon who's not like this and that makes mm-hmm. them interesting. Or we have a Cardassian who's a tailor. That's probably fine. What harm could he do? Mm-hmm. But you know, we, I, I tried to make it so that they had their own divisions. It also explains why they don't always show up. They have their own politics. They've got their own society. They're not sitting around waiting to interact with Cathane. Like, yep. that's not. If you, if you ever ran your 200 person changeling LARP that was running <laughs> every month or weekly, <laughs> you know, the 20 in anime player characters would be totally <laughs> have their own internal <laughs> politics. <laughs> but see, you say that and yet. I do also really like how the heart riddle in particular gets its own sidebar and gets foregrounded and gives a compelling reason why an anime might approach the more fleshy fae in the yeah. first place. Cause it's like yeah. you humans are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But like for like the heart riddle, I, I zeroed in on that when I read an anime. Cause I'm like, this is the what you need to have them yeah. interact. Yeah. Like this is what they need to under. And like also whenever source books and things introduce new elements is like, why haven't we seen them before? Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just kind of ignore that. Cause that's a conceit of gaming that things are just going to mm-hmm. get retconned in or, more books come out over the years, but I'm like, I always liked it when there was a reason why sometimes they won't approach you, or this is why we don't see, we don't see them very often. They've got their own thing going on. And if they want to interact with us, this is probably why. And that helps further craft the kinds of stories that a LARP could uh, get involved with. Yeah. I mean, we had, there was a subplot in a changeling game. I was a player in for a while. That was a delegation of an anime arrived at court. And because the changelings were, we had lobbied to like preserve a park to create, because we were going to put a bale fire there and create a new freehold. And the inanime said, oh, thank you for preserving this. This is ours. And we went, oh, <laughs> um, and things got very tense. And they said, you know, oh, th- you, you know, we, we appreciate you preserving this land. It's ours. And we're going to. And we eventually talked them into turning it into a, like a an embassy, essentially. Mm-hmm. But it threw everything upside down, and and people are like, "Where did you come from?" And like, "Where did you come from?" <laughs> we we were always been here. So that was a fun contrast to have the the different you know an anime show up and have their own politics, and then the Glade and anime were furious that we were going to develop the land and at all and put a freehold or anything in there, and then. They had a couple of Croft in their delegation who were like, no, no, let us talk to them. We understand them better, which is funny because they were still space aliens. They still had no idea how a lot of things were, <laughs> um, but they were slightly better at talking to the changelings than the Glade in anime who were really just weird. Mm-hmm. So it was a fun storyline. I have two random questions. Just one is an oblique connection to C20. Something we talked about when we went through the tabletop book was how slumber checks seem to presage banality checks. And I yeah. wondered, because they pop up here again, was that the case? Yeah, it was a concept that was kicking around for a while. And I think this is when we were starting to try it out because we really liked that concept as part of Changeling. And this was a good way to start playing with it more because it's expressly written into the anime that they, they have mm-hmm. these sorts of checks. And we're like, what if we had these sort of for regular Changelings? Like that they just, their nature just sleeps for a while because in changeling as was written in first edition it was basically once you awakened as a changeling you were a changeling until your banality burned you out 
and that was it. Yeah. And you, you know, occasionally some people might forget for a little while, but usually it was, you lived gloriously for a little while and that was it. That was definitely part of the concept of the game, but that's not as satisfying or sustainable for a lot of gamers. Mm-hmm. It's a great stylistic choice, but it's not a really good way to build long running stories. The sort of Mayfly effect uh, that Changeling was originally kind of written to. Well, then they should just make a new character. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know, or how do you have games that take place over long periods of time and have characters? It was kind of unfeasible. It was sort of like, as we got older, we also were like, I don't think everyone over the age of 25 is hopelessly yeah. doomed to banality. <laughs> so... I mean, they also had, when you actually raid, not the description of the rules or the little bits that talk about how people age or whatever, like... But when you actually look at the characters you get, the plot lines you get, the meta plot you get, it didn't fit that either. Like, <laughs> yeah, those Fae were way more bur- like durable from monality than yeah, the the, monarchs the, hanging on for fifty years and yeah, yeah, and just a bunch of commoners still lasting years. And... Yeah, that was always a, a contrast because if you played rules as written, changelings would be done from banality so quickly and yet we have characters in the fiction and i always like it when fiction should match the game if you have game fiction the characters in the in the fiction should operate the same way as the characters in the game and like there was always a little bit of weirdness with that because the white wolf anthologies usually came out before the game because they were trying to stir up interest like splendor falls the changeling anthology came out before first edition changeling so some of it does not work at all like changeling because the authors had a rough outline that they were given, or some of them really just had kind of a very basic, so they riffed on it, and so you had stuff that never showed up in-game. I remember being really mad that it took a very long time to get dream magic in Changeling, because one of the best stories in Splendor Falls is about a a neuromancer, essentially. And Plus, it's called Changeling the Dreaming. Exactly! <laughs> it seems like the most obvious magic. Like, fairies are constantly putting people to sleep and messing with their dreams and doing all this other... Like, yeah. You know, so... Yeah. And if you're talking about, like, story potentials, like, I think if the threat of banality and, like, the threat of Bedlam, if that feels real to the players, you're doing fine, I think. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to knock them out. Yeah. Or the threat of slumber. Yeah, and there's a certain balance to that because you want those to be elements of the game or Changeling loses some of its teeth. Mm -hmm. If people aren't afraid of Bedlam or Banality, then they're missing some of the essential dynamic of the game. It's like playing vampire and not caring about humanity. You're missing a huge part of what makes the game what it's supposed to be. (laughs) It must be said, plenty of people do, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. At, At that point, like, and this is my little chip on my shoulder type thing is as you get further into vampire, it became more and more of a supernatural political thriller and less and less of a personal horror game. Yeah. So, and I, I will get it to later chapters. This book, the shining house players guide actually helps you with political thriller games too, or political, <laughs> in a way that feels more natural. But yes. It's a... Speaking of said scenarios, yeah. the shadow court, yes. my favorite chapter. This starts out, I think there's some sort of conspiracy here because it says the, the narrator is named Simon Victor. And that's the first, that's the first <laughs> names of the people who did walking away from Arcadia. And I think we need to wake up sheeple. Anyway. Let's <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is Simon Victor was my friend, Andy, and that was his Slua character. <laughs> and so he was, yeah. yeah, he's in the, he's in the credits. He's in the playtesting credits. He was, there was a changeling game that plays in Northern Delaware. It had a revival a few years ago. 
uh, Winter's Edge was what it was called. It was Southern Pennsylvania, Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey. It's actually where Steve Grabania, the person who invented the Jester's Rules uh, bunking stuff, that's his game. He was the ST for a long time. Mm. And uh, my friend Andy was one of the the Shadow Court. And that was his character. You know, Simon was one of the Shadow Court. And so he was really good at it because a lot of the Shadow Court, it's like the Sabat infiltrators in a Cam Vampire game. Mm-hmm. Like everybody knows who they are almost immediately. And LARPers are bad at secrets, which is which can be fine. <laughs> but with the Shadow Court, uh, he did it so well because everyone, he was a slew and he was a little sinister. So people would whisper about it, so to speak. But he was very good at covering his tracks. And he was one of the first mm-hmm. Shadow Court members I actually saw who was really good at being subtle and having plausible deniability for everything that he did. So he got the mm-hmm. honor of being our narrator. Which was a wise choice, I think, compared with the Shadow Court tabletop book. Like, it really came to life the way that it's written here. Even though it's a, a lot of it is the same material, I felt like I was able to grasp it a lot better when it was presented in this voice. Yeah, like, if I were to run a tabletop game and have all or some of the player characters play Shadow Court, and I was going to get them to read, like, I think this would be the best chapter to, yeah. to, yeah, to read on it. I We... we... The thing is, like, a bunch of us played court for a while in a large game, and so we got to do the ins and outs, and we even had some of the characters from the different factions in our Shadow Court, so we weren't all interested in the same thing, and everyone lumped us in together because... You know, it became after a while, it became an open secret, um, Some sometimes due to people metagaming and sometimes due to finding out in character or whatever, but... I was one of the front characters who everybody knew. So I was a distraction. Uh, I was my puka, Blackberry Jack. Yeah. That made me laugh because he's describing a large chunk of this chapter. Yeah. Of how society works. I'm like, wait, can I trust any of this? What? Yep. <laughs> that <Yeah>. was the idea. <laughs> that section did actually make me care about the political impulses for the first time. So. <laughs> Yep. And that's the thing is the shadow court and like we, w- we would go on to, to really reinvent them for C20, but I was already kind of going towards the, the reinvention because the shadow court book was really cool in a lot of ways. And I really liked it, but it was very hard to play in mm-hmm. a lot of ways too, because the shadow court was so either they were completely ceremonial or they were utterly, they were like Sabbat and they couldn't coexist. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, we need more of a middle ground here for this so that's why i dove into the politics a bit more to make them a little more complex so they're not just these mustache twirling villains or they're not simply kids throwing rocks on mischief night you know like yeah they become the most detailed and broad secret society in changeling as opposed to or among the kithane as opposed to like the sabbat yeah it's like somewhere between in in vampire terms sabbat independent bruja like that type of thing one of the things that always really got to me about Vampire, which was really great for tabletop, but not great for LARP, is that the factions really couldn't coexist. You can't have Cam and Sabat coexist in a city, generally speaking. One will fight the yeah. other. Uh, they will wipe each other out. And even with the Anarchs and the independent clans and things, like, you know, if you wanted to play like a Sabat character in a Cam game, that could be really interesting, except there's no reason you would survive. They would kill you. Uh, they would have yeah, or vice versa oh, yeah. yeah and like but I, I always thought it'd be interesting to have like a lazambra who follows path of power in the inner voice as the the seneschal to a camarilla prince you know camarilla prince yeah mm-hmm. and the fact that you see that showing up in larps <laughs> people doing that kind of thing shows that like 
the players it wanted it. Yeah, because with LARP, yeah. you have to be able to mingle. You have to, you know, in tabletop, yeah. these extreme factions and alliances and rivalries work okay because it's a small group of people. But mm-hmm. in LARP, if you want to have a diverse LARP of characters with a lot of motivations, the societies and the political groups yeah. need to be able to get along. Yeah, so, you need, if you're designing your own LARP setting, you need a whole bunch of different groups of people that dislike each other but will show up to parties together that's the <laughs> yeah yeah and that's the thing it's, like, it's one of the things when we when we designed requiem we tried so hard to make the different you know the the, yeah. the clans and the covenants could coexist some of the covenants really hate each other but they can all coexist none of them are kill on site for the others mm-hmm. necessarily because we were trying to get away from the cam sabat like it's all or nothing and we wanted to have like you guys may hate each other but you you can coexist in the city and that was the same thing is like if everyone knows the shadow court sacrifice people and are run by the thalane you know at the deepest level or whatever then why would you ever let them in your town and so we wanted to have some diversity for the shadow court and plus i loved a lot of their concepts Um, i wanted to really dive into the you know we're not just waving our hands and being you know waving our fists in the air They've got some interesting points of view. Yeah, some of them are rock throwers and bomb throwers, but a lot of them have some, they have some valid points. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the whole like the Sealy rule of several hundred years is really kind of bullshit, and we really shouldn't do that. Um, I could see that being sympathetic and Cathane being like, you know what? Yeah, like mm-hmm. you know now I guess to use our modern terminology, like how does the Shadow Court radicalize people? Mm-hmm. And I feel like we needed to have it be like, why would anyone join an organization if it was only just, yes, we are pure evil and we serve darkness and we sacrifice Cathayan with cold iron blades. No one's going to join that group. I mean, okay, somebody will. But most people are not going to be like, you don't, you don't <laughs> want them all in your LARP anyway, the people who join. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and like, you know, who who gets up and looks, at, you know, sees a pamphlet on the bulletin board at the grocery store is like, do you want to be evil? Join us and be like, you know what? Evil. That's what I've been missing. You know, like. (laughs) um, Well, as kind of a meta question following that, when you've had the Shadow Court in a game, I mean, in particular, so the C20 version that you're pointing to, Mm. even though it's kind of recast on those lines, I think like the mustache twirling evil still kind of is in the air. So how do you how do you kind of pull the shadow court out of that if you have players showing up and like that's what they want to do? Well, or do you? Do you let them well, do that? In, in, in something like that, if players showed up and wanted to play things like that in my game, like real hardcore black court, shadow court, to use the mm-hmm. C20 term, like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the real evildoers and the puppet masters, usually what I would tell a character, a player who wanted to play a character like that is you're on a clock. You are not going to last. And when they find out, I will not save you. I will not protect you. Whatever they do to you, you have to understand is fair game because you have chosen Mm -hmm. to play a character who is actively against what most other characters can tolerate. And when they find out whatever they do, you don't get to complain. Basically, if you're okay with that, I'm, I like having some subterfuge. I like having some, some intrigue in games and things, but if they if they rumble you and they catch you, I'm not going to step in as an ST and be like, okay, guys, well, it's their character, so let's not go too nuts. You know, um, I've, I've actually seen it though in LARPs I've been in where those the Shadow Court are doing a good job, like they are in the background manipulating type. Yeah, and then it, they get exposed and like 
a third of the player characters are sticking up for them. And it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why it was important to have the different factions of the court, because again, like some of them seem very reasonable, you know, like, yeah. when, and some of them are, I think relatively reasonable, you know, like, and mm-hmm. that makes them better villains. Yeah. And it's not like the regular Cathane are super nice, completely law abiding. Yeah. Very like everyone yeah. gets along like it's not and that's what one of the things we wanted to also make clear is that there's a difference between the you know people who are unseelie and people who are shadow court shadow court is a mm-hmm. is a hard choice even the the relatively quote surface level court like the the ones who are more into overt vandalism or you know the easier ones to spot because they're mm-hmm. but usually also the least sinister because they're just disruptive as opposed to being yep. like machiavellian I said, even they have a point and you can understand why they get there. But we also wanted to make sure, like, if you join the court, you know, socially that changes when people find that out, that's a thing that they will respond to. It's not the same as Sealy or Unsealy. It is your Unsealy with an agenda and a grudge. And you are going to go way beyond the usual Sealy Unsealy slap fighting um, that happens in a lot of games. Well, look, one game I played in a Slua who was, she was Shadow Court Ritualist. And like, she threw a great Beltane party that everybody loved. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The Shadow Court were usually the hosts of our our Samhain parties. But then one time they decided to throw the Beltane party and everyone's like, why? And they're like, oh, no, no reason. And they collected blackmail on everyone. Yeah. You know, like sort of with the with the shadow court, like, I guess we didn't have these these terms, obviously, at the time. It's like, for me, it was always about kind of like what they I've heard called like the Killmonger effect, which is like a good villain should have a point that the audience goes, huh? Like, yeah. th- I don't like their methods, but like until you drill really deep down into the shadow court and get to the really mm. awful Thalane and their and so forth, like you can find yourself nodding along with them more than you might like. And that's what makes them dangerous. So now this chapter does have the Thalanes. Oh yeah. doesn't say anything about not playing them or anything. Yep. Still. Nope. Uh, it must be so much fun to do a beastie costume. My favorite was we were at Gen Con one year and there were uh, several Thalane whose characters were based on the justice league. Don't, <laughs> don't ask. Um, <clears throat> but the beastie was Aquaman and he would turn into a, a fish and just sort of flop around and people would scream and run in terror um, because Excellent. of his beastie form. <laughs> and it was one of the most changeling things I've ever experienced because someone was like a suffocating fish run. And just, you know, as he flops around on the ground <laughs> trying to breathe. Excellent. Yeah. Cause the other thing is I knew there would be, there's no use fighting people wanting to play Thalane. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to play Thalane. We actually, there was a concept in a changeling game that my wife and I ran that we tried to get into C20 and didn't quite make. We wanted to have uh, Sorcha, which is Gaelic for Bright One. Hmm. And these were Seely who ritually removed their Unseely side. Um, so sort of the anti-Thalane. They burned their Unseely side away with cold iron. So they just had a Seely legacy and a Bright legacy, which was their hmm. extremely unsettling, super Seely dangerous you know just like the thalane have their their legacy and these were Seely who responded to the spread of corruption and vice and licentiousness by burning their unseely side away they didn't quite make the cut which made me sad because i really loved the storyteller's story. vault yeah yeah i've thought about it because they were really fun and they were really messed up and it was there's a picture from gen con with i was playing a Seely duke and i was an absolute jerk and 
the unseelie like made a picket sign that said seely does not mean nice and it became a mantra in all of our changeling games <laughs> because it really doesn't it is not good and evil it is not an equation like that but yeah, so we, we created the Bright Ones as a counter uh, counter move once the Thalane became public in C20, and they became more open than they used to be. Um, these people reacted by saying, no, 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 never. <laughs> and yeah, so you had they were big on purity. <laughs> Storyteller's vault. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Sam, do we, do we want to move on to the Kinane and Enchanted chapter? Let's do... It was refreshing to read through this chapter because C20, I know that we've talked before about how the way enchantment and canane have been rendered in C20. I'm kind of dissatisfied just because the enchanted is one of my favorite books. ever, And I'm like, I just wanted that. I really love the enchanted. So yeah. Enchantment rules and canane rules are the, one of the big ones for me of not using C20. (laughs) I understand. Like I love the canane and it came a lot from, we had a, a, a werewolf game that actually ran kinfolk really well, and that inspired a mm-hmm. lot of how we looked at the LARP version. I loved the, the Enchanted. I absolutely loved the idea, yeah. you know, fey-blooded characters and kinning and enchanted mortals and, and so forth, because it adds so much. And it's also, mm-hmm. one of my friends put it, he's like, this is the perfect, like, boyfriend who came to the LARP character. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, yes. like, your Can friend it, who just shows up. I think the mortal, enchanted mortal is the perfect one for that. Yeah. And they're like, you yeah. know, if your friend if your friend shows up and wants to just try the game out, like, an enchanted mortal or a kinane is, a, a, like, a kinane relative of one of the characters or just an enchanted mortal is a great starter character. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've also known people who've played them for full long-term chronicles and really enjoyed it because they have a different point of view. We tried to smooth some of their their difficulties interacting with the changeling world because we're like at a LARP, most of those things won't matter. Because in tabletop, a changeling, a mortal staying enchanted for days on end can be an issue. Yeah. But most LARPs are a single night, and that's easy. You know, so like we have to mm-hmm. sort of shift how they work a little bit. Otherwise, it does it doesn't quite hit the same. It's sort of like you know powers in LARP you have to factor might affect a room full of player characters that is like 20 people. If you use scene and, you know, and you start using arts that in a tabletop game, you're the most, you're going to affect three or four other PCs in LARP, you could affect 20 or 30. And so you have to sort of keep mm-hmm. things in mind. And with the Kinane, it was similar. It's like, how are we, how are we going to make it easy to play these characters, but also still have some of their downsides or mm-hmm. something that, that makes them not seem like full Kithane. They have to yeah. feel different. And I will say, like, just like the other books we said for the other chapters, like, I do like Enchanted, but I think this book does a clear description of summarizing what's in Enchanted. Like, mm, yeah. We had, we had the benefit of hindsight, like you said. Exactly, and, yeah. And but just thought I'd mention it again, especially people like, also people, if you're not into LARP, but you're curious about these things, you might want to check out the C20 players. And that's, you know, we like that too, because also, again, we had, we had to have brevity. We had Mm -hmm. to try and be clear and quick and go through these concepts. This book was, I think it wound up being 30,000 words longer than it was supposed to, Mm. because I just kept adding stuff. And (laughs) Cynthia was very nice about it, but I just kept adding things and adding things and adding things. And like, when it came to the kidding, she basically was like, okay, these are not prime characters necessarily. These are support mm-hmm. characters. So we got it. This one's one of the shorter ones because of that. 
It's like, we're not spending a ton of time on this because these are not going to be a popular character type. I said, okay. Yeah, or they don't need as much either. To no, that's, useful, that's the yeah. thing. They don't need as much either. Nevertheless, there's some stuff in here which is, to my knowledge, not anywhere else in the game line. The primary yeah. thing probably being the sidebar on becoming Kithane. <laughs> yeah. I will say it missed one detail that was like in my brain screaming going, or they could become like a she. Because yeah. <laughs> one of the well, she yeah. return and take over. Yeah. We talked about, we actually talked about that. Like if we'd had the autumn she, we probably would have mm-hmm. done something like that just because we would have the contrast. We could have like, oh, yeah. you could become an Arcadian she if you became a host. Yeah. Essentially. But you're a new character now, <laughs> like essentially. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and like I said to Ian when we were working on C20, I'm like, man, it would have been fun to have like, what if you had like Kinane families that offered themselves as hosts to the she? And mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they prepared the child and they, you know, the child went to the woods and they did a, a rite and the she took their body, you know, sort of thing. And, yeah. and he's like, oh, that's awesome. I don't think we have room for that. But I was like, yeah. uh, yep. Storytellers. But yeah, the becoming Kithane was also because it was the, well, what if your, your friend who showed up and played a couple games as the Enchanted Mortal likes his character and wants to say, surprise, he was a changeling. He just was really asleep or really, you yeah. know, like how do we can you promote this character so that he feels like he can still play so it was kind of a larp reality that i thought also just worked with a lot of changeling lore and or fairy tale lore is that sometimes they do take you and make you one of them mm-hmm. but yeah that was definitely one that i slipped past cynthia because i knew she would say no so i just didn't call attention to it and i just kind of slipped that in the draft um <laughs> But you also have a very elegant way to do it when you have the reference to like the sword in the stone and having that item with a fairy essence bound into it, choosing someone to become Kithane. I think that's yep. a very quick and easy way to slip that into a game. Yeah. And that, that built off the fact that like, I always liked the, the bound essence, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trait from the first one where it's like your fairy nature is like a silky code. It's bound into an item. I had a, a player who once who had an actor's copy of Puck from Midsummer Night's Dream, like an original mm-hmm. actor's uh, copy from Shakespeare, and that was what gave them their fairy nature. And I, I always thought that was one of the coolest uses of bound essence. But yeah, I, I just like, like I said, a lot of what it was is trying to give people more options and also trying to recognize, yeah, like your friend showed up, he played a couple games, like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Uh, do I have to make a new character? Like, nah. We can promote you. <laughs> like we can, we can work yeah. this out. We can make this character a full fay. Uh, you know, here's how we do it. As kind of a, a side thing to that, one another part of this chapter that I really like is that just all in one place you have the kith by kith descriptions of what Kinane are like and how they interact with their full Kithane cousins. Yeah. So, in a game, how does like does that come up often? Where, you know, if one person's playing a Kinane everyone kind of treats them the way they would treat a Kinane in general. But then it's like, oh, you're a Boggan Kinane. The player who's a full Boggan is going to interact with you in a maybe more specific kind of way. It almost kind of creates dyads within the dynamics of the of the LARP, I imagine. Yeah, and usually what we would do is I put those sections in there so that when somebody showed up to play and played a Kinane, you would go to the players of the existing Kith and be like, by the way, you know, mm. this is how these people are usually perceived by your people. And you can go with that or not. I mean, you don't have to follow that advice. But to give it a sense of the Kith culture, because most of the Changeling Kiths have such a strong culture. 
Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about him. It's one of the things that changing players have consistently loved and adopted. And the only other White Wolf game that I think quite gets to that level is Vampire. And that's a lot due to age. Like the clans have very specific fan culture and and clan culture is a thing in a way that like mage traditions and werewolf tribes never quite manifested. But changeling kits very much do also. Well, well, yeah, like I've had so much experience. Somebody's never heard of changeling. You know, they want, they're interested in it. You pull out the list of kiths and they're like, oh, that's me. Yep. <laughs> Pointing to yeah. one yep. of them. My wife says, you know, like when the reason that she she wanted to work on Kithbook Boggin is Boggins always know each other. Mm. Like yeah. players who identify with Boggins know each other immediately. Like more mm-hmm. than all, I think almost any other kith. Like people who as real life people identify with Boggins always find each other. Um, they're just like that. <laughs> um, Whereas Puka merely suspect each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knocker type people always do that too. Just yep. they don't get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like we wanted also to make the Kinane feel like they're part of the culture, even if they're that part of the culture isn't a very good part a lot of the time. Like mm-hmm. some of the kids treat their Kinane pretty badly. Some of them love them. Some of them don't. So like getting an idea, because one of my friends was like, well, he's like, I get that the red caps often don't, but like red caps, I feel like would bond really tightly. I'm like, well, yeah. Even Red Cap Kenny, because mm-hmm. nobody likes them. It's the Philadelphia sports thing. No one likes us. We don't care. <laughs> um, that's that's Red Caps in a nutshell. So yeah, the, again, it was it was a lot about options and just trying to because the the Kinane and the Enchanted Mortals were consistently, like I said, the starter characters for people who were trying out the game or dipping their toe in the water or somebody's friend who got brought along for a night. And it's like, why don't we try and write in ways that can make that more fun? And you could play them long term if you want, but they're not just an afterthought. They're not just like they're. And again, The Enchanted was such a beautiful book, and I loved it so much. Yeah. And it sort of got left behind by the rest of Changeling. The concepts from Enchanted rarely get mentioned ever again um, in the yeah. in the tabletop books. Like they just don't carry over. But I will say, because most of our listeners have arrived to the game with C twenty. Even though this is an older book, like everything in here about the Kinan and the Enchanted, I think is very valuable. I mean, the Fae gifts and stuff you might not need with the C20 mechanics, but all of the sort of narrative stuff is so valuable because like Mm -hmm. you're saying, it doesn't really come up anywhere else since the Enchanted. Yeah. And the old world of darkness, I mean, the way that we wrote it, the way that it was developed, it was a large rambunctious family but we didn't mm-hmm. always communicate. And so that meant that certain concepts would just sort of get dropped from games or never go anywhere because there was no central continuity, you know, hub exactly. Like there were people at White Wolf who had a good idea of continuity. And if you did something, you would have to go to whoever the lead dev was at the time. Like if you were doing a vampire thing, you checked with Justin. Mm-hmm. But uh, no one was really cross-checking, so there wasn't a lot of continuity management. And so some of the stuff from the books just got dropped and never went anywhere. Yeah, well, I'm glad we have on page 139 enchanted very best doggo as an option as well. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that that's ever come up anywhere else again, but I'm here for it. I'm a little bit confused how you bring that into a LARP. We had a person who played a dog. Oh, okay, that's so, <laughs> absolutely yep. amazing at it, and they were an enchanted dog, and they just had a blast, and they came to like three games, and they and they were just the goodest boy, and yeah. so so that's that's what the, that's the third option of somebody's brings their boyfriend or something to the game it's like do you want to play the dog (laughs) 
and also fairy stories are full of enchanted animals and things. Yep. And as it says, like animals are generally kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> they don't have our mundane view, so they're kind of like, cool. New friends. Um, Again, if, if you're just into this for tabletop, that's another thing to check out. <laughs> yeah. free, I, so. I, I do recommend it because as much as yeah. I understood the direction we took in 220, and I, I, I can talk about that. I do. I just have a soft spot for the enchanted, um, yeah. like the the old school enchanted. So, yeah, and there's little pieces which make changeling feel distinct, which I always appreciate. So when we did our dive into that book, into the enchanted, I think I pointed out one of my favorite pieces was that there are separate fey gifts for speaking to the dead and seeing the dead. I love that. I love that it's not like, no, it's just all one necromancy power. It's like, no, no, you have to earn both of those aspects. And people might point to that and say like, well, that's not powerful enough or that's, that makes no sense. Why do I have to buy two separate things? But it adds a distinctive aspect to the world about how changelings interact with ghosts. It ties into like Irish myth and everything. And I love that. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Arts. Um. Yeah, when we're talking about the arts chapter, like a lot of this is drawn from Blood Dim Tides because we have Aphrodisia, for example, which another mm-hmm. was another art that Changelings I thought should have had a lot sooner as like an emotion mm-hmm. art, as it were. I do want to say also this is my favorite photo in this book. Oh, the, the shrinking <laughs> room. I wonder this that must have been. It feels like that was somebody like had a weird LARP space or something. Well, like, and the thing was like, that was another one where, like I said before, and I, no, no shade to the original artist yeah. or director, but this was similar to a picture that my group had sent in. Um, oh, for weird. Yeah. We had a few things like that where I think to a degree, I think it was just similar subject matter, but like, or the shadow court chapter picture, one of the characters looks exactly like a friend of mine who posed for some of the pictures who was in our shadow yeah. court, but it's not them. It's not them at all. So there was actually some some tension because, uh, and it boiled over like in the in the Laws of the Reckoning book. Yeah. Uh, my friend who is a photographer, they wound up recreating some of her shots almost mm. exactly. And I had them go back and give her a credit. And like they wound up paying her a, at least a nominal amount because they had basically just remade some of her photos. Mm. Um, so was there like a stable of people used for like all the LARP books or something? But, for for playtesting or for no no art? for pictures for the art for the photo because like all the all the oh. books like were always photos of people yeah and... which was a, w- that was a big choice is they wanted to show people which is why some of the some of the photos are weird like the anime one with like a person in a tree <laughs> it's kind of like we wanted to show game the game as it would be played you know so we okay. wanted to have photos of people as much as possible rather than illustrations or or things like that. Like, you know, like some people would be underwhelmed by the, the photos in Minds of Theater books. It's like, but we're trying to show people what they can actually expect to see oh. and play. Until we recorded here, I thought all the art from all the Minds of Theater books was like from the playtesters. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Although, like I said, that was sort of a sticking point eventually yeah. with, my, with my group because my photographers, like they keep doing things that look like photos I've sent. And like, I mean, you do see sometimes in Minds yeah. of Theater books, with certain authors or certain uh, certain artists carry across multiples. And I'm like, that's okay. That is probably the play testers or their local group. And people are posing. Uh, yeah. Cause you, there are some models that carry over from book to book. Yeah, I thought I recognized some faces from like, <laughs> and the other thing too, is like a lot of looking back now with the arts in this, 
I really went way overboard. These are so long. A lot of these hearts, the write-ups are so long. And I'm like, I try to keep Minds Eye Theater short and sweet, and I did not live up to that in this. Yeah, I do have to say, of of the chapters here, this is the one that's that's like, uh, I'm like that with any big list of powers, though. Yeah, and that's the thing. But I was like, wow, this is really, some of these descriptions and the rules are way too complex. Like, Part of it was also we were being told at this point in Minds Eye Theater that our rules were too easy to exploit by like members of like what was the Camarilla, you know, the Minds Eye Society. Mm, you know. Yeah, group network play. Probably. Network play people were like these powers, they're too short, they're too open ended. You know, please put in some more language like to prevent cheating, essentially. Yeah. Or to more clearly define them. And I'm like, changeling magic isn't really clearly defined a lot of the time, but. So you can see yeah. that shift in some of the Minds Eye Theater books. The powers tend to get longer because we're supposed to try and explain very specifically how they work, how they don't work, have things in there you know, included as anti-cheating statements. I'm not blaming the Camarilla for it or the Minds Eye Society. I'm just... A lot of different games. Sometimes I think when it, was like, it was like several hundred maybe separate independent games that were all in the same network and had to let people move between them and stuff like that. That's a very different requirement than like th- getting 30 people together in your local area. To play and that was one of the main sources of friction throughout my career as, as a Mind's Eye author and then later as the Mind's Eye developers. I wrote books for groups that looked like mine, which was 20 or 30 mm-hmm. friends getting together yep. and playing. And so I don't really write to try and avoid cheating mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we would always just say no. If somebody was like, well, technically the book allows me to do this. Well, we don't want you to, but it's in the rules. I don't care. Yeah. You're doing it to ruin everyone's time. We're not doing it. Yeah. You even know? then, like, I know, like, in Ottawa, before I'm just before I moved here, like, there was a LARP with like 200 players. But that's still, you you could still do that because you still have the consistent storyteller team. You don't have the yes. different storyteller teams trying to adjudicate players moving between them and interactions. And- yeah, and I said, you know, LARP is always going to be an honor system mm-hmm. at, at a certain level because you, you're not around a table where a GM is watching you the entire time and also available to answer questions. Players are going to make decisions on the fly. And yet a lot of players will call for a narrator or an ST if they have a question, but mm-hmm. like players will sometimes make bad calls because they think the rule works that way and no one else knows. Yeah, especially if no one's disagreeing. If everyone's yeah. present, it's like, but, yeah, that sounds cool. And I said, you know, to for a long time, I was like, if it's an honor code anyway, then what are we doing? It's trying to write powers that you can't break. First of all, that's yeah. never going to work. But with some of these, yeah, some of these just got out of control. I mean, I like the basic concepts like Changeling should have weather powers. That's overdue. Changeling should have emotion powers. That's overdue. Mm-hmm. You know, they're shape shifting, like the whole metamorphosis art of like, you know, only having shape shifting as one part of primal before. Mm-hmm. was very limiting considering how often Faye changed shape in stories. Yep. So, yeah. And this is a different take than C20 where they, the number of cantrips doing these kind of things are the same, but they're spread across more arts. Yeah, these they got more specific. Like the, the core rulebook had relatively general arts mm-hmm. and the source books had increasingly specific art. It's the Tremere effect uh, only for changelings, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like we have blood magic and then five books later we have the path of this it's to make computers made out of blood or something. I don't know. The Tremere got real weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, and their thaumaturgy paths got real specific. Yeah. I am curious how, how often infusion has come up 
in not in downtime, but like in an actual session. <laughs> uh, more than you'd think, but I always had a lot of knockers in my okay. games. So, well, not, not, not much like doing the long term crafting stuff, but anyway, in a session. Oh, oh, yeah. The well, that was the that was the other tricky thing is infusion is supposed to be the crafting art, but it was never really clearly detailed how that works. Yeah. And that's something we grappled with in C20. We tried to finally nail it down and be like, mm-hmm. this is how you make enchanted items. This is how you make chimerical items. Like this is, this is how crafting works for the Fae because it was yeah. never, ever explained well because they're like, wait, so if I make chimera, if my knocker makes a sword or something, do I have to buy that as a background now? Like, cause I made it as a sword and now I have a chimera and like, it was never really clear. Like, when do I need infusion? Mm-hmm. When don't I, you know, yeah. like to me, it should always be a, you could do it without infusion, but it's way easier with it. Yes, that was how we wound up handling. Or, or infusion is for the stuff that that is like mad science mm-hmm. or steampunk or alchemy. Like it's the stuff like that you couldn't do by normal means, or you could do the normal things much faster, or and you can do the things that are, are simply not possible, mm-hmm. quote unquote, uh, with conventional crafting or chemistry or whatever that was infusion. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was usually how we drew the line. That seemed to work okay because people are, people could still do some crafting and things. And if they wanted to be really good at it, they would take infusion, which was also a signal to me as an ST that this is heading my way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when someone starts taking infusion, I have to start getting ready. But yeah, that was also another one where I'm just, I'm skimming all the books, the source books that were out at the time and like grabbing the arts that were here in Blood Dome Tides or Kith Book Knocker or, and just like trying to standardize them. And we, there were a lot of people who were really mad that Infusion was no longer Knocker specific. Hmm. Which is the case for a lot of these arts too, right? Like it seems like a lot of them are, oh, this is more common for this Kith and this Kith, which I couldn't remember if yeah. that was in the core book. Which was well, a nod but... to like where they came from because originally Infusion was the Knocker secret art. Yeah. And yeah, some of the arts were associated more with different Fae than others, but... And not having Merfolk in here, you have to yep. change yeah. those at least. But... Yeah, this is only available yeah. by the characters you have no rules for or any description. <laughs> yeah, so, and like, I really tried to get the Merfolk in and it's just like, this is too weird. They take up too much space. Yeah. Like, to explain them, there's no short answer to ex- explaining them, so... <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm happy you got the anatomy in, but that that's all... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we had to pick our battles eventually. Even with Cynthia being really nice and letting this book run way over the original mm-hmm. word count, there were still cuts to be made. And, and ultimately, I was like, the merfolk are not as valuable as the Canaan. And some people really disagreed with that. You couldn't do a 500-page LARP structure <laughs> book that yeah. would have fallen apart. What was the, the rule for Minds of Theater was purse or jacket. Like, yeah. it has to fit in a purse mm-hmm. or a jacket. That's why the books are, you know, the smaller size and everything is so that it could be carried around more easily and and yeah. so forth. But like, yeah, putting the merfolk in, I'd either have to strip out all their lore and then why bother? Or we'd have to lose another chapter like Canaan and Enchanted, which I wasn't willing to do. So yeah. we just plundered them for their arts and then left. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You also have the, for Aphrodisia in particular, where you have the recommendation for a special narrator called the Cupid. And I like that attention to detail about stuff that in a LARP setting, certainly you have to kind of attend to differently than you do at a table. And I say that as someone who, as I've said before, my primary LARP experience is with Nordic LARPs, which can get very uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Oh, there's a lot of overlap at this point, though, with those Nordic LARPs with the Aphrodisia stuff. Yeah. And I mean, anything with 
emotion manipulation is going to be like, all right, let's make sure everyone's okay with this. Well, I, I just, it's funny. I just, I literally just past weekend, I just played a really intense experimental LARP about vampires and humans. And the way that they, they said there were a couple that didn't have a lot of lore or anything like that. It was they're vampires, they're humans. And like vampires, they were like, vampires will always overpower you. If it comes to a confrontation, like you might get the drop on one briefly, but like if it's at any kind of any way prolonged, you lose. And the other thing they did was to simulate vampiric charisma and intensity of personality. They're like, whenever a vampire talks to you, especially if they're focused on you, the classic kind of look into my eye kind of thing, they are the most. You must treat them as a superlative. The superlative you pick is up to you. So they might be talking seductively and you can panic and run because they're the most terrifying thing you've ever seen but you never casually react to them. Hmm. And it was a really interesting way of handling that the emotional manipulation of vampires is it gave the target a choice of how they wanted to respond, but they, they always had to respond with a lot of emotion. There was no casual around vampires. That was a really interesting take on that. The upshot of all that is aphrodisia, or I guess in C20 summer, use yep. with discretion. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's one of the ones now I look back on, I'm like, I would have so many more disclaimers on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so many more, if I used it at all. Yeah, yeah, I just think, like, a new, if you had, I don't know, a new edition of The Shining Host and Player's Guide, it would, like, big chapter on just safety tools and all that stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just so much. Like, and I, I think the that was kind of what, I, I will give myself a little credit in the sense of, that's kind of what the Cupid was for is to make sure nobody's abusing mm -hmm. this also. Yeah. The fact that it's in here at all is impressive because oh, yeah. for 2001, this is really good. Yeah. yeah, for yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> and like, that was also why there's that disclaimer right afterwards. Like desire is not necessarily sexual. Like right. you can, right. you don't get to tell them they desire you, but what that means means different things to people. So we were trying to like head that off. Cause we had, I, that came from, I played in a vampire game in Philadelphia for a little while and there was a guy who was intensely creepy and would just use presence in all the ways that you don't want them to. You mm. know? And like, and it got really, really like sexual assault territory and all in game, but still making people feel profoundly uncomfortable. Yeah. And I was like, okay, no, we're not doing that in Changeling. We're not, we're not. I didn't have the language for, of, sa of safety tools and things for the time, but I was already thinking like, no, I do not want that. No, this it was right around the period, at least in the English role-playing world, it was like starting to become a thing. So Yeah, where we start having those conversations and, mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. know, checking in with each other and trying to do better. But yeah, I, you know, I like a lot of these arts. I just wish I could go back and edit them down. <laughs> <laughs> so I look back and like, I could say this with like 50 fewer words per power here. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it's very different, for instance, from the C20 Onarimatsi, for instance, but like, I think this works better for a LARP and Omer. It looks better tabletop than C20. Yeah, and that was one of the things. We always yeah. had to try and figure out, like, some of the arts changed in both this and the original yeah. book because they don't LARP well. Yeah, you can't have an art where the entire thing's hanging out in some sleeping person's dream unless, like, that's your new set. <laughs> that's where the yeah, game set. That's a special dream. session. You know, yeah. like, that's a special side session, which we've done. We did a walk into a dream kind of thing, but, like, yeah, yeah that's a whole session. It's just the advanced level, right? Or one of the advanced levels does right. that, not yeah. the basic level. <laughs> yeah. I was also very big on when I was writing Changeling Powers. A lot of times you may notice, like, there's the dreaming will not allow you to do it this way. Mm -hmm. Like, if you put someone to sleep, the dreaming protects them. So you can't mm -hmm. put someone to sleep and then kill them. 
because the dreaming says that's a party foul. No, um, (laughs) you don't get to do that. So like one of the things I loved about changeling was you, as the representative of the dreaming, the ST had an in-character version of no. Yeah. Um, I never thought about that. The, the, the storyteller has a player character in a changeling world. Yeah. It's the dreaming. Yeah, they are the dream because the dreaming has sentience ascribed to it on numerous occasions. Yeah. In the, in and the its book. desires are very much in line with a storyteller trying to run a good yes. part. <laughs> that's why like, it's like, okay, I'll let you put them to sleep, which, you know, that has its own implications. But like, if you try and kidnap them or murder them, the dreaming just spirits them away. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, no, no. If you try to use further oneromancy on them, however. Yeah. But I always like the fact that, you know, as as the dreaming, you could have a will of your own and just be like, no, that's Ch- changelings. Yeah. Like the bias towards narration over rules is written into the setting as the dreaming likes good stories. And mm-hmm. so whatever makes a good story is what the dreaming will support, generally speaking. Right on. So, there's yeah. a new picture here. I don't understand that picture. I'll be probably perfectly honest. Yeah. The, like they have all black eyes. I don't know what that's. I think they're supposed to look different in the reflection than they do, mm-hmm. but we don't see enough of their face to establish that. So yeah, and it's just I'm just saying it's a vaguely creepy picture. That's all. Yeah, no, no, but it, that one just baffles me. But like us adding the abilities that were uh, added yeah. in Laws in the Night revised. So yeah, some of um, some of that was like. I mean, it's extra hilarious reading it now, bringing Dodge back in, bringing Dodge into change. I know. <laughs> when the 20th anniversary's got rid of it. But that was literally, the first part is just me updating because after Shining Host came out, we wrote Laws of the Night Revised and we expanded the list of skills. So mm-hmm. I just put them in Changeling. So, mm-hmm. and then same thing with specializations, which we didn't need that, but that was a direction we were going at the time. So I think this might be my favorite version of Piskey's. Yeah. Oh yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're the ones who keep getting different things for them. It's kind of they kind of suffer from the fact that they were brought in late, and people at first people were like they're too similar to Puka, so they got kind of changed. Even uh, other than the animal thing, they were like they're basically like Pukas. They're, they're written like their their outlook and their attitude and their interaction and and stuff is very Puka like, and so then. Then they got a little bogany and like. Well, they're Kender. They were Kender from D and D. Is how they first they felt. Yeah. Also that. Yep. Yeah. So, so I I just tried to give them more of their own identity. Just trying to make them like okay. So these are kind of this the sort of benevolent little folk legends of they get along well with humans, especially children, and they, yeah, the Kender trait, the kleptomania. Oof. <laughs> and then like we go into the the glamour systems and that's where we really had a lot of fun yeah <laughs> what's the story behind the jester's rules because that was i was like yeah i'm into this jester's rules were steve grabania's house rules for doing magic in his winter's edge changeling game he didn't like the bunk system and i i agreed because i was like you know writing bunks on index we talked about this last time writing bunks on index cards or whatever yeah that if the storyteller has to write bunks for everyone, that's so many. Um, yeah, that's so many bunks. This feels like a precursor to the C twenty bunk system. Yes, and it is absolutely a straight line. Easier to use in some ways. Yeah, I think we somehow used basically these rules before in the game I played and before this book came out. Somehow, hmm. like we never had writing bunks on cards. Like you'd get a narrator to tell you the bunk rating if there was question. Like generally, but, yeah. Uh, what Steve did was he codified these rules. What I loved about them and the reason I asked him if I could put them in 
was because they add so much to the play experience because they encourage you to use props to do act out things rather than narrate them and to make them appropriate to your character or to the magic to do, you know, to do as they, the, one of them's called the voodoo clause, you know, like having something sympathetic or contagious mm-hmm. to your target or the type of magic or, and it, people got so much, so much more into them and they added so much to the play environment Yeah, because their bunks were real. So there, there was at least one time I've seen someone spend like the whole session just setting up a bunk. Like and, yep. and they were inter- they were role playing and they're interacting, but they're like cre- setting up this whole ritual thing to do the bunk. Yep. For the, like I think it was Susei. Yeah, yeah. Well, Susei bunks got crazy long term, yeah. and and his bunks were you know the rules were designed to like you're adding something to the game. Cool. Mm-hmm. And the more you add to the game, the more points your bunk was worth. So if you had the prop, you got an excuse to use a cool prop, so you could bring your prop, and that gave you a bunk a bunk trait, and then. You know, if you acted out instead of narrate it, you got a bunk trait. So, like, the more you added to the game environment and to your costuming and props and and everything, the more the bunk was worth. So, it really rewarded what makes LARP interesting and fun. And the, every once in a while, you see those moments of game design that are just so simple and so brilliant that you're just like, well, dang. First of all, I'm jealous I didn't think of this first. But second of all, can I use this? Because this is amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I always want to give Steve a big shout out because he was also really nice about letting me use those and and uh, letting me test them and and so forth. Because yeah, it, they're just they're so much better than the random bunks. But he also I do like the fact that like for the most part he actually also has an upper limit because he doesn't want people to have to spend too long doing it either. Um, mm-hmm. Like over an hour, I think is the longest that you get a bunk point for or bunk trait for. Oh, no, it's one trait per hour if the bunk takes a longer. Oh, okay. So, but form. yeah, so I guess you could spend five hours on a bunk, and that would max out the trait. But, but you have to do it in character. Yeah, exactly. So, like, mm, that's that's commitment to a bit right there. Um, yeah, that's that's some serious stuff there. Yeah, and that's why I was like, these rules are so much better because also they allowed people to create bunks that were very evocative of their character. We had the three and one. We called them. We had three characters who were big on Soothsay. And one was a red cap who had a quote tarot deck that was a bunch of playing cards with like dirty pictures on them that they had scribbled stuff on. Like this is the tower, you know, like it was like old playboy playing cards or something like, but they, they were a soothsayer. Like they were a serious soothsayer, but like, and then you had like the slua who had like the talking board and had all this other stuff, like sort of more traditional medium kind of stuff and like a crystal ball. And then you had someone else who did like, he would divine by like casting lots and he would throw sticks on the ground and like read patterns or whatever. And they would sometimes combine their, their bunks to weave soothsay together. And that was always a good time <laughs> to watch that happen. Was there anything else in this chapter that kind of was born out from stuff that you saw in sessions? Because it does seem like this is the kind of catch all overflow chapter for. Yeah. I mean, this was really the, this is the, the kitchen sink chapter. Yeah. My favorite section is the whole Endless Dance Politics in a Concordia section. Oh, yeah. We really had fun with that because we played a very political Changeling game. Like, that's one of the things I love mm-hmm. about Changeling, especially as a LARP, is that it is so tonally flexible in mm-hmm. a way that I don't think any other White Wolf game is. And I think very few LARPs are in general, where like Changeling can be absolutely silly and ridiculous mm-hmm. and then segue into Game of Thrones, you know, with hardcore politics. And you can do 
if you have enough players in your LARP, you could do both simultaneously. Yes, exactly. Our changeling game was basically Game of Thrones if everyone was played by a Muppet. Like, you know, yeah. like this is changeling politics is Game of Thrones, but everyone is Muppets. Beautiful. And, you know, or what if, what if like House of Cards, uh, before we knew Kevin Spacey was terrible, was replaced with the cast of Teen Titans Go, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like just changeling used to get so dismissed as like a, such a lighthearted or mm-hmm. l- lightweight, not lighthearted that too, I suppose. And I was like, the politics in this game can be insanely good. Yeah, the status rules, they, if I'm vaguely remembering, like those are pulled from some of the stuff from Vampire, right? Yes. Some of these? Yeah. Yeah, that was after I worked on Laws of the Night. So I was yeah. definitely, and I was working on the Anarch book not too long after this. So like those were definitely on my mm-hmm. brain. And even just little things, like we tried to simplify status though, because it got really tangled mm-hmm. in some of the Vampire books, because mm-hmm. you had different types of status and they weren't, we tried to simplify it, but like, even just little stuff like proper form of address for a duke or duchess Mm -hmm. and like just to standardize some things for changelings and like have people like how do you address a duke or a prince or a princess or and like the the concordian politics like that is something i am glad we dove into in c20 is really trying getting into concordian politics because we finally had the overview of the setting Mm-hmm. You know, we'd we'd seen Fool's Luck, we'd seen you know Kingdom of Willows, we'd seen Noblesse Oblige, we had it all put together in front of us, so mm-hmm. we could kind of come up with. And this was sort of a half step for me is like at that point we had Fool's Luck and we'd had some of the Nobles books and some of the Changeling political meta plot had really come together, mm-hmm. and we were trying to get that across without locking people into the meta plot of the books being like, no, you can use this as a model to have a really political game if you want. Yeah. Although I do think like, it seems to me like the, the stuff related to title specifically, like what the different ranks do, like, you know, King versus Duke versus, I don't remember it being this well-defined ever anywhere else in change. Like, no, I like they it. Weren't. We put this stuff in because as LARPers were like, we need this. Yeah. Like, and also to give people ideas for like, you know, what does separate a Duke from a count? Like what, you know, what kind of mm-hmm. stuff does it usually take? If you're a Duke, what do you usually have lying around? Like what is the sign of your office? Or, you know, like the idea that it could always be changed because the dreaming is flexible. Yeah. But and it's like stuff like Dukes have at least can count up to five counts in barons as vassals. It's like, okay, there you go. That's like, yeah, because we would have cities that had like five dukes and nobody below them. Yeah, until you hit commoners, and we're like, okay, <laughs> like, sure, it's changeling, do whatever you want, but like, that's like having six generals and two privates, <laughs> you know, like, and no nobody in between, you know. And I would always encourage people to be like, don't have too many of the top ranks of changelings in your game. Uh, first of all, they shouldn't have a whole lot of dukes in one area, generally speaking. And second, you're going to have a weird political game if that's the case. Like, it's going to be weirdly top-heavy in, in a way that you might not want. But yeah, we nailed this stuff down because I'm like, LARPers need this kind of stuff. Like, or, or at least they can use it. Maybe not need, but they can, they can make good use of it. My favorite bits were probably the retainers, like having all the different types oh, yeah. of retainers that you could have within like a household. But then also just the very subtle thing of like costume suggestions or that's how i read it of like oh Mm -hmm. members of this society wear this pin or this ribbon or this color and i like that because in a larp scenario you might know that emblem and you might recognize that on someone else but then it's like do i let on that i know what Mm -hmm. that is or 
Yeah, we really wanted that kind of because again, it's a it's a detail that doesn't matter so much in tabletop, but in LARP mm-hmm. is absolutely key. Yeah, I also want to point out you do have playable Thalane and whatnot. Totally doesn't even mention <laughs> not playing them. Explicitly says you should not have PC Beltane blades. I'm like, take that Seelicorn. <laughs> well, they're just awful. Yeah, they're just so evil. Yeah. <laughs> so evil. I mean the Thalane, you can argue something about its being their nature, but you can't do that with yeah. Beltane Blade. <laughs> yeah, and it's also more fun <laughs> Thalane mischief <laughs> Beltane. Yeah, and, and and yeah, the Beltane blade is just so laser focused and evil. And I've had people have great Thalane stories where they uh, we had a person who played an ogre and nobody knew he was an ogre. Yeah. They thought he was just a weird troll and he was raised by Kithane. So mm-hmm. like he had an interesting story, but like you you know, the Beltane blade is a voluntary association that only picks bastards. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like the horror thing of you have the horrible man-eating monster versus the terrible person where you know three people like that personally. Like yeah. it's not the same. Yeah, exactly. And and that's and like also when you put in a note like you cannot have a PC Beltane blade, you know some people will immediately want to play one. Yep. But I figured that gives the ST a fallback and be like, no, really. If they don't want them, they can point to the book and be like, no. The book says no, and and this is why. And it's like, you are playing a villain, too. I think that's a good thing to point out. for. Yeah, you are a straight-up villain. There's no misinterpreting them. They're not misunderstood. They are Mm straight-up villains. They were always written to be straight-up villains. And uh, there's nothing sympathetic about them. Like we were saying, a lot of the Shadow Court is sympathetic until you drill really Mm -hmm. far down. A lot of it, you can understand their grievances. You, even if you don't agree with them or their methods, you can understand what they do. So if you want to include these, we're going to say why you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But if you want to, you know, then now you have the tools you need to understand why that's going to be so different. No one's going to stop you. But like, if someone wanted to play Beltane Blade in my game, if I let them, it would definitely be one of those ones I talked about earlier where like, if you get caught, you're dead. Yeah. And I'm not helping you. Well, yeah, that's... Also in LARP, there's a lot of half PC, half storyteller character characters oh, yeah. that are like yep. kind of independent, but kind of yeah. They're there for an NPC directed reason usually, or they they answer back to the NPCs as it were. But they're I had a long running hunter game for when we were playtesting Laws of the Reckoning, and one of my players played a wayward, mm-hmm. and I gave that speech. I'm like, if they catch you, you're probably toast. Like, mm-hmm. and I said to him specifically, I was like please don't just randomly murder characters. Like I wouldn't do that. Like I'm mostly focused on monsters. Just waywards are not too picky about collateral damage. Mm-hmm. I was like, if they find out and they run you out of the game, you know, one way or the other, then you're done. And he was like, sure. I accept this risk to play this character. He lasted all three years. They found out at the last session, he took his shirt off and he had a giant wayward symbol on his back. Yeah. And <laughs> He had worked in the shadows. Like, they saved a monster at one point. They're like, oh, it's fine. He killed it later on. Like, he went back and murdered it. <laughs> He's like, no monsters will live. And they're what happened? We saved them. I'm like, I don't know. Something you can investigate. <laughs> yeah. I also like this but, chapter's the Kithane ju- Justice section, along with the dueling part. Like, yeah. that, I eat that up, especially, like, in their, those things come up. duels are so dramatic. Yeah, but, like, the Fior <laughs> system, too. and the- Yeah. The, the duel is sort of also based on the fact that around that time I was watching a show called Conquest on the History Channel, and they had an entire episode on duels and how duels actually used to work in like the Renaissance in particular in Europe, mm-hmm. and so that informed a lot of the rules there. And like, uh, and it was also based in part on the quick draw rules from Laws of the Wild West because duels should be fast if they're going to be exciting, and I don't want to have seventeen retests 
and you know all that other stuff like try and streamline it try to you know and the dueling oaths are great that was my other favorite <laughs> the last little thing like you know it doesn't have to be the last thing we talk about but we had the changeling calendar because we're like changeling is a festival game it has holidays like indeed you know and they're great excuses for games yeah well i, I know you, puka you did the we did that episode on, oh man <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the uh, book of days it was like Every single day yep. has <laughs> all three hundred sixty-six. Yep, and we were trying to we were trying to uh, include like what might go on in those days, like what kind of parties would you have, or you know what activities can you do? Because we wanted to encourage people. Because like a lot of times when I was in regular running changing games, we would just say this is the Beltane game, this is the Midsummer game, this is the you know it was by holiday as mm. opposed to other games where you're just like, well, this is our June event or whatever. Oh, like, yeah. You need a reason for everyone to show up together and party. Yeah. And changelings had a full calendar and like, someone's like, why would you do that? I'm like, why wouldn't you have that for vampire? Or like mm. we could do that for vampire. We could have a list of holidays or, or observances or, you know, yeah. whatever changelings just love to party. And it's a great way to get a LARP together. So why don't we do these things? And like this, in the secret societies, we're all, I mean, you can see that's all straight out of fool's luck for the most part. Um, I mean, there's a couple from the core, like Beltane Blade and the Crystal Circle. But like, we wanted to give people more, again, to break up the monocultures of different kits or the idea like, what if you're both veterans of the Accordance War? One Sealy, one Unsealy, both commoners, but like you fought on the same side during the war. Okay, that's a cool connection. Yeah, it's a cool way to build character ties between characters. Yeah, we had a conversation. I can't remember which episode it was. We talked about this, but about the kind of axes of splat that you have. So it's like you have your kith, you have your seeming, you have your court, but then something like a society is this maybe a little more subtle thing that cuts across all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it allows you to build characters and tie characters together that might otherwise you might struggle to adapt and it was also trying to break the splat book as character mm-hmm. this would also come back a couple of years later when we were writing requiem is like the covenants for vampire were also supposed to be a way to have characters from different clans associate with each other and also create potentially divided loyalties like with the clans and covenants you and i are both you know gangrel but you're order dracul and um, invictus so we have the same family, but we went way different career paths. And, but if I meet an Invictus Ventru, like we might have something in common where our clans are totally different, but now we're part of the same organization. It created wheels within wheels. And some of that was thinking that started with me, at least for Changeling. And being like, okay, let's say we're both Sealy Redcaps or something. And we're both Wilders, but I'm a veteran of the Accordance War and you're a member of the Crystal Circle. We have very different interests. We have very different social circles. Like this is going to be a a big change for us and help us differentiate our characters from each other. Especially in the context of like a LARP, if you show up one day and it's like, oh, this character you get along with well because you're the same kith or the same court or whatever. And then the next day it's like, oh, you're in a different society that is diametrically opposed to mine and it creates this new source of tension. Or you have like the six player characters that are in a properly secret society, but like, or that they should be very different. Like they're all different kits and court and all that. And yeah. Yeah. But they have that common thread and that lets them build on it. And like, Mm -hmm. again, it's, it's more of what we were talking about before. It's just putting out more things in there for players to interact with, for players to have conflict over, but not, 
other than a couple like again like the Beltane blade we're sooner or later we're gonna have to stop punching these guys in the back of the head but they kind of deserve it so um yeah keep punching where most of these societies might be you might not like them but they're not banned they're not mm-hmm. something that you're automatically going to be run out of town for being part of well even then Beltane blade won't be they're not illegal under I mean, no unless it's, no unless it's full of red cap corbies your area but <laughs> Yeah, everyone will watch you, and you pr- you might have a hard time once people know your association. But mm-hmm. if they know what the Beltane Blade is about, but you know, we tried not to have anything that was a do or die, like Cam Sabat. Like you know, yeah. one one cannot exist coexist with the others, like because that yeah. it shuts down role playing in ways that aren't just aren't worth it in a LARP. Mm-hmm. Um, to have groups that cannot talk to each other, cannot coexist, cannot be, you know, etc. That's no fun. So aside from Merfolk, is there anything else that you wish had been in this book? If you could pick like the top two or three things. You know, it's funny because a lot of the stuff that wound up not making it into this book wound up becoming stuff that would come on, go on to inspire me when I worked on C20. Hmm. As part of this sidebar, as part of this uh, kitchen sink chapter at the end, I wanted to do a sidebar optional rule about divorcing seeming from chronological age. Uh-huh. And they were like, that is way too different than the tabletop. We're not doing it. <laughs> like, you know, because again, I would push that, especially with Changeling. Like, you guys, you guys, you guys know well better than most. Like, I put in a lot of stuff in the LARP that doesn't exist in the tabletop. And yeah, I yeah. did that because I was 20 and I thought I knew best. So, but uh, some of it worked out, I think, but some of it, you know, whatever. But point is, they were like, that's way too, that changes a fundamental part of the game. We're not doing it. Yeah. And I think that was fair in that situation but oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah that that was me getting real big for my britches and cynthia being like easy boy easy <laughs> and she was right to do yeah, so even at c20 oh. i wish we had more text explaining what that actually means because we have so much about the previous age-based one and it's like okay but what does seeming mean now yeah i see what you're saying there i think on the whole the change makes sense it's just we need more we need more talking about what is good about it rather than why we're not doing not it. Not just what's good about it, how to use it. Because we have all this stuff about yeah. how seeming works in Kithane society under the old system. And the new yeah. system, there just wasn't the word count to put in much about it. So it would be nice That's to... Fair. Somehow, I mean, there's no way to get it, but like, storyteller vault again. Yeah. I wanted to put more politics in, but that got cut. Mm-hmm. We had a whole section about the changeling meta plot mm. because we wanted to we wanted to present it as here's what's going on right now. If you want a quick setup for a political campaign, like because the LARP books have no meta plot, yeah. none of the changeling meta plot really made it. You know, Kimelge or David, like they get mentioned very very briefly, but there's not a whole lot of what was going on in the evolving storyline of like Kingdom of Willows and things. And we were like, maybe we should have a lore update. And that got cut. I think that would have been neat to have that. We also had a how to build a freehold. Mm, that would have been nice. That would have been really nice. That one got cut for space. It was it was like 7,000 yeah. words. It was basically its own chapter. Yeah. Book of freeholds for LARP. <laughs> yeah. And that was the thing because we had freeholds and hidden glens. And we had these sources that talked about freeholds yeah. and how, they, how they're created and how they're managed. And we wanted to talk more about Balefire and because my wife is really loves the concept of Balefire. And like, mm-hmm. that's why her signature immortal in the Bog and Kith book is a Balefire Keeper. Yep. But, well, you just have so many game sessions that are just set in a freehold. That... Yeah. And that's how we assume because also I think we, we had a part that was people forget that if you're in a freehold, certain things aren't as supposed to be as much of a factor as they would be elsewhere. 
or, or certain things are much worse. If someone brings in a source, an active source of banality into a freehold, yeah. that's bad news. Yeah, you snuggled in your cold iron knife. That's not good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, you know, talking about like things like that, like, and also we had rules for kind of what would become in C20, what would become like resonance, like different freeholds give off different vibes. So like the Balefire here gives you an extra bunk trait for these kind of bunks because it's just that kind of vibe. Or like you could draw on the, the character of the freehold to get like a bunk trait if you were acting in accordance with like the freeholds, hmm. you know, mood or ambiance. It was an out of game section because I'm a theater kid. Surprise. Um, <laughs> and about how to do much more set dressing because we have some in the core book, but yeah. Uh, how to do lighting and music and, you know, how to transform rooms very quickly and easily to make them look different and so forth. Like we had a whole thing about like the literal nuts and bolts and the in-character magic and mechanisms yeah. of Freeholds. And it just was way yeah. too long. I think I want three more books this size. Just <laughs> <laughs> we also, there was this weird detour that we had, which was Cynthia once again correctly vetoed it because it was entirely based on nothing from the, the tabletop games. And we had three cryptid kith that never made it. Mm. I had this whole pitch, and I was devastated when she didn't take them. <laughs> and she's like, they're not in the tabletop. You can only go so far from the tabletop. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and she's right. She's absolutely right. But like the idea was there was an emerging faction. They were sort of like people who became possessed by fae spirits. And it was cryptids, tall tales, and urban legends. Mm. And nobody knew what they were. And you can see why this didn't make the cut. It's no. way too different. But I always thought it was a cool idea. And it's kind of in the C20 player's guide. Yeah. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I bided my time. I waited 20 years and did it. <laughs> but... Well, regardless, yeah. like putting these two books side by side, like I said when we went through the first one, having never done a Changeling LARP before... I feel as though everything that I felt was missing that was necessary is in this book. So like, Mm -hmm. I mean, the two complement each other very well. And yeah, as much as I would like to see more material always, (laughs) I I feel like... Yeah, where's the PC creation rules for your Chimera? (laughs) Yeah, for example. (laughs) having, Having these two side by side, I think covers if not every case that I can imagine coming up gives me the tools to adjudicate on the fly, like you were saying before, Josh. So maybe it was Cynthia's wisdom. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It was. I mean, she what she tried to do was keep my little 21-year-old self from bouncing too far afield. And also, she said, this is the book that you wanted. Mm-hmm. You wanted it to be something that expanded people's ability mm-hmm. to play Changeling into different areas or give them different options or flesh out politics like all of these things expand on existing ideas in the game Mm -hmm. pretty much and give people more choices more ideas and like that's what this book is supposed to be about so let's stick to that she was an excellent dev she was Mm -hmm. she was absolutely the best but she wanted it to be that expansion of okay some of the a lot of these concepts are touched on or at least mentioned briefly in the first book now we're going to go into detail here's Mm -hmm. the shadow court here's a whole chapter of these people who got briefly mentioned before, now we're going to flesh them out. You know, I think we briefly mentioned the Nunahe and the Inanime, and now we're going to flesh them out. And we had Kinane, but we didn't really talk about them yeah. much. We talked about Enchanted Mortals a little, but that. So if you were curious about something, the idea was you could go to this book and probably find more on it. Mm. You know, more detail and more choices, more options, everything. So I think it was successful in that in that goal. So. I believe so too. I'm yeah. glad. <laughs> It has some a few little updatey things, but it's still very 
compatible like it's not like it's a whole new addition trying to sneak in or something yeah yeah you can definitely tell this is the new skill system for yeah. example yeah. like i said like not only in terms of adding skills to the game but like the way the skills are written shining host was written before laws of the night revised which was sort of the new standard like laws of the night was always the default book that the others were based on or referenced mm-hmm. so you can see like that was like the more loosey-goosey fewer skills now we're going to add more skills to be more like the tabletop game and the skills are going to function slightly differently. So we're updating a little and yep. yeah. And that was me just being very overprotective of my changeling players <laughs> and wanting them to have the most up-to-date information. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> so, you would need that for crossover too. Yes. Uh, yeah. That too. As I, I didn't want them to fall behind because some of the older Mind's Eye Theater books never got updated. So like the rules in them didn't technically work. You could usually fix yeah. them relatively quickly. All, all you have to do it isn't here is give you seven health levels instead of four. And you're... Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this book was such a love letter. I mean, all of the changing books are that I've worked on. Then there's such like a milestone. Like, like I said, if you look at the play tester list, some of the names are the same from high school, but some of them are changed because it, you know, my friend group shifted over time in college and, and this was, the college game as opposed to the high school game. And, you know, I look back on it and it's also, for me, it's like just this little encapsulation of an era that just came along, remembering all that we were doing back then and, and all we wanted to do. I was saying to Josh, we did our war in Concordia episode. And until I started my read through for, to prepare for that, I didn't really understand. Well, I understood, but I didn't have a point of reference for in C20, the idea of a grump, receiving a big enough hit of glamour to go all the way back to childling i'm like well what would that even look like and then opening up that book and on the credits page seeing the thanks to all of the white wolf forum names that i remembered from when i was like 15 <laughs> and i was like yeah. oh just all at once it hit so and there were so many the forum communities were so strong and like yeah I remember being told later on by some of the White Wolf people and just, uh, you know, that on the Mind's Eye board, I was the self-appointed guardian of Changeling <laughs> and I would just swoop in and try and answer questions about Changeling or, you know, clarify rules or defend it when vampire players got, you know, persnickety or whatever. As they so often do. Yeah. Congratulations. You're the first game. You're the least powerful by default. Wah, wah. <laughs> so, you shouldn't care that much about power, but I can't fix that. <laughs> yeah. It was always great to see. And like, in C20, like the dedication and the, the player's guide also, like I get emotional just looking at those dedications and those, and those uh, you know, credits pages yeah. and things because there's so much. When C20 was announced, a lot of people were like, how well is this really going to do? I'm like, wait and see. <laughs> Changelings people are loyal and we, we are still here. And yep. they're like, what? And like, trust me. Yep. <laughs> and they're like, it's now like the second highest Kickstarter they've ever had for one of their games. Like, all right. Yes, I know. Beat Werewolf <laughs> by $35. <laughs> hey, you know, a win's a win. I'll yep. take it. And like, as a LARP community, Changeling has never gone away either. Because again, I think it's the most LARPable or, you know, or tied with Vampire for most LARPable game. And it's a lot more fun than Vampire a lot mm. of the time. It's a very mm. different focus, but it's a lot more flexible. That Again, Vampire also was a, a casualty of being the first yep. out the door every time you know like and they were learning a lot about what worked and what didn't and what players wanted and what didn't and like when you look at the the shift from first edition vampire to the last edition before uh, the new world of darkness and you see like how much it has shifted away from personal horror and yeah 
and everything to more politics and, and supernatural intrigue. And, and that's okay. It can evolve over time. Mm-hmm. Someone told me, said, they said it, it went from Interview with the Vampire to Underworld. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. The main inspirations shifted. Yeah, I could say it went from Interview with the Vampire to Vampire Lestat, even. <laughs> yeah. Hey, let's not say things we can't take back. Um, <laughs> but and that's that, that's okay, you know. Like games change over time; it's how they stay mm-hmm. alive. But like Changeling was interesting. It was like Changeling never had a pop culture base the way some of the other games did. Because mm-hmm. I mean, there has been fey material in film and television, but not in the way that there has been for vampires and werewolves and wizards and mm-hmm. stuff. The closest you get is a series like Lost Girl. Yeah, but that, that was not big. <laughs> so. No, <laughs> it was very niche, um, very Canadian. Yeah, we did on our inspirations. There's another New Zealand show called Almighty Johnsons, which I think is in a similar vein. Yes, Almighty Johnsons is fantastic. Yeah. But it's, it's similar, like that was not big deal. Everybody watched it. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the thing. Like with vampire, like you can watch people like interview with a vampire, and then like Blade and Underworld, and then like True Blood, and then of course you got Twilight. But you've got like you can watch like there's different generations of vampire inspiration. Changeling didn't really have that. Yeah, it's like the mists protect keeps from (laughs) the closest we got was when we created Lost, which was such a a very different game and very intentionally a very different Mm -hmm. game. Which was in many ways looking much more at like the folklore version of the Fae or not your yeah. friends and so forth. But it, even so, it, it was interesting because we were talking about like, yeah, there's no pop culture reference, which means it stays fairly timeless. You know, Changeling surges like everyone, every time I go to the Pennsylvania Renaissance Fair or the New York Renaissance Fair, when I'm wearing my tabard, I have several Changeling tabards. If I'm wearing <laughs> any one of them, someone calls it. Yep. And granted, at a Ren Fair, the odds are better than most places, but still, it's like they're still out there. Mm-hmm. Like the Changeling folk are still out there. That's why I knew it was it was going to do well. And the Changeling LARP community is a big part of, I think, what has kept Changeling going. Mm-hmm. It's funny because, like, I don't want to jump ahead to like Changeling Twentieth, but like when the Changeling Twentieth writing room got together, it turned out that so many of us had been holding on to ideas for like ten years. <laughs> or more. That we wanted to bring to the table and be like, can we do this in Changeling? Should we do this in Changeling? Mm-hmm. And how do we do this? Yeah, we'll um, get to it. But that, there's a reason it's yeah more yeah. so than all the other ones. It's more of a new edition as opposed to the 20th anniversary edition take that the other game. Yeah. It is interesting, though, to see, like, now that I'm looking back, I really hadn't connected the dots of, like, some of the concepts that were toyed with here or, re- or didn't make the cut for the player's guide did actually kind of kick mm-hmm. around in my head until a lot later yeah. when I and got a few, to use Even them. a few that did. Got into, it's like, this yeah. is where the tabletop yeah, rules came true. from, the LARP book. Yep. And that was always the weird thing, too, because the LARP books were always supposed to be a companion of the tabletop and not innovate yep. any more than absolutely necessary. But here we are. Yeah, well, uh, Vampire did the same thing. There was a lot of... Oh, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah. Pete, is there uh, any place people listening could reach out to you? I'm afraid I, I've mostly left uh, what was once called mm-hmm. Twitter. I have an account there technically, but I, I never check it. So usually the best way to get in touch is contact through my website, which is peterwoodworth.com, positively woodworthy. Mm-hmm. There will be a link in the show notes. Okay. And there's uh, yeah, the, there's a you know contact form. People want to reach out, even if it's just to share a story or you know things like that. I always love hearing about Changeling. 
that's one of the nice things. Like I said, when I go to Ren Fairs, I usually have not only does someone call it out, someone shares a story. They're like, Aww. oh my God, Changeling, I played this, you know, this, this, this. Or, you know, it's always a fun community moment. So, yeah. And you can reach out to us, um, go on the website, changelingthepodcast.com. Uh, we have a Patreon if that would really help things out. Patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. You can find us on Facebook, our Facebook page changeling the podcast you can send us a toot on mastodon changeling pod at dice.camp join our hopping discord that's the best place to directly talk to us that's discord.me slash ctp you can send us an email podcast at changelingthepodcast.com there is also a youtube uh... youtube channel (laughs) changeling the podcast and all the links including to pete's website will be in the show notes and uh once again i'm josh I remain Puka. Thank you for having me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you again. Thank you for for coming. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Old school Oniromancers have learned the hard way that the dreaming protects its own from party fouls, such as the example given in this episode of putting someone to sleep, then killing them. We did a quick survey and found that 8 out of 10 Oniromancers agree that the three most egregious other dreaming party fouls include tripping and knocking over all the emotional baggage in someone else's dream, leaving a dream portal open so the fearless gets everywhere, or vomiting in the corner of a dream realm and then sitting there crying for hours over how your boyfriend of three weeks hasn't called you back and you just don't think he loves you anymore. Note that playing flip cup on the edge of the silver path is not considered a party foul, it's just tacky. In any case, whether LARPing or dicing around the table, we urge you to remember good dream magic etiquette. Similarly, we urge you to check out our Discord at www.discord.me ctp for news and discussion. And we implore you to check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. We'd like to thank our patrons for their support, and they include Derek, Dorkatus, Oreo, Roscaboos, Sandjigger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. By signing up, you can get a shout out at the end of each episode as well, so please consider doing so today, and or leaving a review of our show on the listening platform of your greatest convenience. LARP on Wayne, LARP on Garth, and until next time, keep on dreaming.